to be seated. Have you got this pulpit mic completely muted? Thank you. Thank you. Well, this is a special day in the life of Christian Bland, but also in the life of Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church, because today Christian will be ordained as an assistant pastor here. And so I am preaching his ordination message, and I consider that uh, a great honor. Uh, hopefully, uh, I won't do him any harm, and we'll say some things that are helpful. I have been ordained for 55 years as a minister of the gospel. I found my ordination certificate and could not believe what it said. And so that's 55 years of experience. That could be 55 uh, times having one year experience or it could be 55 years experience, however you want to look at it. So having done that, I wanted to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul has this amazing chapter, chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses, <clears throat> about an experience he had uh, regarding a trip into the very presence of God in the third heaven. And you may wonder, what has this got to do with Christian Bland being ordained? Uh, hopefully, by the end of the message, you'll see that connection. Hear now the word of the Lord as we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. For I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive. It is a critic of the thoughts, motives, and intents of our hearts. So we pray today that the Holy Spirit would uh, give the word power uh, to affect us all. May your word penetrate our defenses. May it open our deceived eyes. May it remove from us blindness. May it create in us genuine faith. And we pray all of this to your own glory that you would bless us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Power and weakness. There are so many paradoxes regarding the nature of the gospel and our faith in Christ that we could go on and on about them. So many things that are counterintuitive, not the way we would think. And one of the ways to best understand what Paul is writing about here is to take a little time and to look at the context of this particular letter, 2 Corinthians, and talk a little bit about the city of Corinth and what Corinth was all about. One of the wa uh, way to understand 2 Corinthians is that the city of Corinth influenced the church in Corinth instead of the church at Corinth influencing the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth was a city which was pretty much done for around, uh, I'm assuming, 146 B.C., but Julius Caesar founded the city again as a Roman colony in 44 B.C., and it was a strategically placed port city that rapidly acquired what would become a lasting rep a reputation, uh, one element of which was great wealth because merchants passing to and fro through the Mediterranean uh, brought their goods there. They were taxed whether they traveled by land or sea, and Corinth grew economically quite quickly in the second half of the first century B.C., and the new Corinth regained and then outdistanced the economic status of the old city. Uh, this was fueled not only by location and taxing, but also by the makeup of the citizens of the new Corinth. The city was largely settled by freedmen in a free market in which upward mobility was the word of the day, and this meant a highly competitive, socially driven, fueled activity of daily life and an unusually strong way compared with other older cities in which the social strata was a little more uh, rigidly fixed. Corinth reminds me a great deal of Las Vegas. It's one of the fastest growing cities of the ancient world after being reestablished by Caesar. And so this city took off and wealth uh, accompanied it. And there are five basic characteristics of the city of Corinth. And I'm not going to go in depth to them. I'm just going to mention them to you in passing to help you understand how counterintuitive Paul's message is to, <coughs> to the residents and people of Corinth living there at that time. And so the five basic qualities that uh, the city of Corinth uh, sort of thrived at were the following. They were money, power, 
athleticism, speech, and sensuality. And so you could stick Corinth and Las Vegas side by side. Cities very much, very similar, fast growing, a lot of wealth. Money was everything. Uh, wealth was, prosperity was the word of the day. And the city grew quickly and they prized power. They worshiped the god Poseidon, the sea god, not because he was wonderful and benevolent, but was held in respect because of his immense power. And so they were um, impressed greatly with anything that was powerful. Uh, the, they were a wealthy city. Uh, they were a very competitive city. Uh, the Isthmian Games were there not too far from uh, Olympus, where the Olympic Games were also developed in Greece at that time. But it was a very strong city. The body, uh, especially of athletes, were uh, glorious and were upheld and spoken of in glowing terms. The athletes were brought out naked before their spectators, uh, describing a zeal of a typical athletic prowess for his own glory. Fourth, the Corinthians prized and pursued excess impressive speech. The rock stars of Corinth were these public orator speakers who spoke impressively, who were uh, you know, obviously well studied in the Greek philosophers, who were impressive in their look, impressive in their voices, impressive in their rhetoric, impressive in every way. When, when they talked, they talked and people listened and they were impressive. And so this was highly prized in this particular culture at this time. And then finally, you could go on much longer with all of these, a city known for reputation of sexual immorality. The temple of Aphrodite was there. There were other uh, temples to Aphrodite as well. I think one in Ephesus too. But they had a thousands and thousands of prostitutes that were at that temple. And so that was a very practical uh, reality in the city. So there was fornication everywhere. As a matter of fact, it is well documented that to Corinthianize uh, a person is to fornicate with a person. So that's the city Paul is in. And if you look at his first letter to Corinthians, he addresses every one of these subjects. But now he's beginning to find himself in a battle for his apostolic credibility and in a battle from these um, rhetorical speakers, these orators who said Paul is weak, Paul is unimpressive, therefore his message is meaningless. Paul wasn't defending himself in 2 Corinthians, but rather was defending the gospel and his authority as an apostle to preach that gospel faithfully and to hold the church to accountability to that gospel. But he was being attacked. He was being ridiculed. And so, in this world in which we live, uh, everywhere there are, there are these things. But the gospel has its own logic. The gospel turns everything upside down. The way to live is to die. The way to find life is lose it. The way up is down. That is, we are exalted after we're humbled. To become wise, you become as a little child. And so the gospel explodes paradigms and mindsets and interpretive grids and presuppositional beliefs. The text today is a case in point. 
the summit letter of Paul to this church. Spiritual power is actually found in weakness, suffering, not in strength and success. When he looks at his life through the lenses of the gospel, the church at Corinth comes out not too well. These interlopers, these peddlers of a false gospel have come in after him attempting to destroy the church. And so Paul is defending his apostleship, not himself personally. You'll see that clearly. The gospel is being corrupted. It is being veiled in boasting and self-promotion and display of credentials, things that were boasted in. But Paul boasts in what? His weaknesses. He turns the tables on these guys. It's not his credentials. It's not his experiences. It's not his revelation, but his weakness. And so today, I want us to look at four things from this passage as we think about the ordination of Christian Bland. Four things. Paul was given a thorn. Let's look at the occasion of the thorn. Why did he talk about it? The nature of the thorn. What do we know about it? The purpose of the thorn. What did it mean? And the response, how Paul viewed it. And so 2 Corinthians, Knox Chamlin, who I had for New Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary, who is a great Pauline scholar, who is supposed to follow F.F. Bruce uh, at Cambridge University, but was not able to due to his wife's illness. Knox Chamlin, I'll never forget, uh, taught us clearly in seminary regarding uh, the Apostle Paul that... Uh, Reading 2 Corinthians and reading Paul's responses here is like listening to a phone conversation where you're in the room with a person on the phone. You don't hear what the other person is saying, but you hear what Paul himself is saying on this end. And so we have to, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, imagine with study of background to understand who Paul is addressing what he's talking about and why he's speaking this way. And so Paul has here something of an ecstatic experience. Paul is addressing these intruders and interlopers, and he is saying to them uh, something very important. Uh, they talked a lot and sought to undermine Paul's credibility. They raised questions about his ministry. They attacked him personally. They tried to stir up doubt and rejection of Paul and even his message, even his office as an apostle, even his message as a gospel. They were Judaizers. They believed that the law of Moses plus Christ was necessary for spiritual status and maturity. Second Corinthians chapter 3 speaks of the glory fading between the old and the new covenant and mystical experience and revelations and visions all impressed the Corinthians. They were drawn to it. And Paul was beginning to lose influence in Corinth, and he was afraid of losing the Corinthians and afraid of the damage that would be done to the church. And so a triumphalistic sort of theonomic super-apostles showed up who were bad-mouthing Paul every way possible. Now, let me tell you something about what I know from tradition about the Apostle Paul. He was no Tom Selleck. He was no Brad Pitt. He was no whoever that guy was that was Ken in the Barbie movie. I don't know his name. I don't get why he's supposed to be all that. But 
I'm old. I mean, I'm old. I get it. Not a young man anymore. Paul was not pretty. He was not attractive. From what I've read about tradition, he was bow-legged, sort of bent over. Men had been beaten worse than a rented mule several times, left for dead several times. He had trouble with his eyes. We know that. There was nothing about looking at the Apostle Paul that made you want to listen to him. I don't think he was that fabulous of a communicator speaker. Uh, reading his text is challenging for most of us, if not all of us. So there was nothing about him impressive. And yet he relays this experience that he has of whether he's in the body or out of the body. What does all that mean? His lack of specificity here means he's not calling attention to himself, but rather, if you want to talk about and brag about all of these visions and all these revelations you've had, and that's your righteousness and your credentials and your status, well, I can tell you that whether I was in the body, I don't know, God knows. Whether uh, out of the body or in the body, I don't know. But I was caught up into paradise. Paradise is Eden multiplied. It's like the gates of the cherubim guarding with flame. Flaming swords is gone, and paradise is Eden expanded beautifully. And Paul was caught up. I believe Paul saw the eschaton. I believe he saw the reality of heaven. And he was forbidden to utter or say a thing about it. And it was such an amazing experience in Revelation, Paul could have played the trump card right here and said, you guys think you've had experiences. You think you've had revelations. I have been at the very footstool of God. I have been in the heavens of heavens, right in the presence, right in the throne room, right before the face of God. If you want to boast in experiences, I can trump you on that, but I don't play that way. Paul said, if I'm going to boast in anything, I will boast in my what? Weaknesses. Weaknesses. You know what weaknesses are? Inadequacies. I will boast in my inadequacies. What kind of guy is this? I mean, Paul, you know, he didn't have the swagger. He didn't have the confidence, it appears. He didn't have the gravitas that you would want in an apostle. He was very unimpressive, uh, unimpressive in many ways. But he says, I boast in my weaknesses. And then he goes on to say, in order to keep me from being exalted or conceited, lifted above my station, assuming a position I have no right to assume, thinking that I'm above you, you super apostles, and above everyone else, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. Now, the first thing you want to know is what was it? And the answer is, God only knows and he hadn't told us. Why? Because if you had it too, you would think you're just as great as Paul is. You'd be walking around all puffed up, wouldn't you? I would. doesn't matter what it was. Now, some people think it was a physical thing, the flesh. Or does that mean it's an aggravation of the sinful nature? Or does it mean it's something bodily, like an eye disease? Or did he, did he uh, have some kind of physical disorder, some kind of malady? Did he have, some people have said epilepsy. 
Some people have said uh, that, that Paul would completely just zone out and lose it. Other people have said, no, it's not a physical thing. It's a person, and maybe it's one of the leaders in Corinth that's given him grief. Another person who says, maybe Paul had a wife and she was the thorn in his flesh. It's never identified. But the occasion of it is God gave it to him to humble him because God hates spiritual pride. He hates spiritual pride. He hates those who lord it over others. Jonathan Edwards in his book, Charity and Its Fruits, says the following, and I find it to be so true that I hate to even read it. He says this, spiritual pride causes one to speak of other persons' sins, their enmity against God and his people, or with laughter and levity and an air of contempt while pure Christian humility disposes either to be silent about them or to speak about them with grief or pity. The spiritually proud person shows it and is finding fault with other saints that they are low in grace. They don't understand the gospel and how cold and dead they are and quick to discern and take notice of their deficiencies. The eminently humble Christian has so much to do at home and sees so much evil in his own heart that he is not apt to be very busy with the hearts of other people. Some of you really need to hear that, and so do I. So do I. You know, when you criticize other people for whatever reason, and of course, if you do it, it's always with the best motives. <laughs> It's always, well, I was just trying to help them. Well, you know, don't be such a help. You know, take care of your own heart. Look inside at yourself. Maybe that's why you're so quick to judge another person and condemn them for being who they are. And so Edwards goes on, and I'll quit with this. He complains most of himself and complains most of his own coldness and lowness in grace. That is the humble He's apt to esteem others better than himself and is ready to hope that most everybody has more love and thankfulness to God than he, and he cannot bear to think that others should bring forth no more fruit to the honor of God than he has. Is that you? Does that describe your heart? One of the things I fear, you cut me, I bleed reformed, but I don't believe in tribalism. You know what tribalism is? There's the elite elect. And everybody else is second class. If you think that way, God help you. God deliver you. God show you. We're all sinners. All sinners. And if you know anything, why do you know it? Grace of God. So why do you brag about it? It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. It's always the grace of God. And so Paul <coughs> was given this thorn to keep him from being prematurely exhausted. Now, what is the word for thorn? It's the word scallops, not like the seafood dish. That's the Greek word, scallops. It is a steak, a fish hook, a splinter, a fence steak, a spike, something that the military would use to impale you. It is something very painful. It is like a cross. 
and the abundance of revelation Paul had received might over uplift him and cause spiritual pride and so it was given to him in the aorist tense meaning a point of time a divine passage a messenger of Satan to buffet him to pummel him to buffet him means to beat with bare fist it's taking your fist and beating somebody to a pulp and he said that's what this thorn given to me was and it was a messenger of Satan and it, it is something that beats me continuously uh, whether it was an illness a disability a moral temptation it was a messenger of Satan which God allowed one of the most important things Martin Luther ever said that most of us don't think about is the devil is God's devil okay he's God's devil he can only come at you so far and no further and so he was given in the providence and wisdom of God and in his majesty and in his brilliance and in his wisdom he allows a messenger of Satan to buffet Paul to humble him that's how much God wants this man humbled humble him bring him to his knees so Christian you will have a thorn if you're like me you'll have 10 or 12 of them and these thorns are difficult they are something that you don't go looking for something you don't pray that you'll get something that you'll pray you'll be able to respond to but that's what the thorn was it was a physical thing more than likely uh, but the source was that God gave it to him Satan was the immediate cause God is the ultimate cause Satan can he's God's devil he's on a leash he's on a string sometimes we as Christians fear Satan inordinately you need to respect the fact that there is a personal devil you need to respect the fact that demons are real okay respect that but don't be obsessed with it greater is he what who is in me than he who is in the world but God allowed the devil access to pummel his prized apostle to keep him humble some of you think you're my thorn in the flesh you think it is your job to keep me humble <laughs> I know who you are <laughs> and maybe that's true I don't know the purpose was to bring him back down to earth that's the purpose of the thorn he was over uplifted he could have been airborne in spiritual pride but he was pounded down by this messenger of Satan to crucify him as it were to shape him in a cruciform existence to be his life to be shaped in the cross to understand his weakness and his inadequacy it was painful it was humiliating it was shameful it was a cause of suffering and over and over again it was a problem to him so how did Paul respond to this thorn in the flesh well he did what you would do and he did what I would do and any believer would do he prayed he didn't merely endure it he prayed he went to the Lord and he prayed three times three specific occasions that this thorn would be removed from him 
I mean, it makes sense to me. It's causing me a lot of trouble. It's causing me a lot of pain. It's uh, slowing my roll. It's making things harder and harder and harder for me. And I'm suffering from this. And it's hard to bear. It's hard to endure. Lord, if it's possible, remove this thorn from me. And it was no more removed from him than the cup was removed from Jesus in Gethsemane. He prayed three times that this cup would be removed from him. He drank it. Paul is participating in the sufferings of Christ with this thorn. And it let the air out of him. It did, but he prayed three specific times. He felt powerless because of this thorn. Uh, he felt an inability. He felt weak. Fifteen times in Second Corinthians he uses the word weakness. Um, but he learned something. He learned something very important that, Christian, you need to learn and I need to remember and anyone involved in Christian ministry should know. Uh, the Lord had a better answer for Paul than removal of the thorn. His better answer was, my grace is enough for you. I don't like that answer most of the time. Because I'm like, Paul, just deal with it. Please just kill me. Take me home. This is so humiliating. It's so burdensome. It hurts so much. Why not just take me home? But the Lord's reply is, my grace is enough for you. And grace here is not so much the favor of God shown to sinners in saving them. The grace of God in this particular instance means I am present with you. I am dwelling with you. I cause my power to rest upon you in your weakness. Who are the most powerful spiritual people in the world? I remember uh, a great pre preacher in the PCA who I thought was not a very good preacher. His name was Frank Barker. And he pastored that huge church in Birmingham, Alabama called, uh, anybody know? Christ's Covenant. Thank you. That one slipped my head. I knew it was Covenant, something Christ's Covenant. Harry Reeder was the most recent pastor, and he was killed not too long ago in a car accident. But Frank Barker was a military man. I think he was in the Air Force. He came out, and uh, we had a conference for church planners in uh, Monterey, California, uh, right around Pebble Beach. Every year we'd go over that, and he was the featured speaker. And I remember thinking when I was driving over there, what am I going to do while he speaks? That's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I, we didn't have video games that you could sit back there and play. I looked around the room, and other people were reading books while he was preaching. I thought, that's insulting. And so I remember going to my room, and I just prayed, Lord, this man has done some remarkable things in your name uh, by your grace. And I said, obviously, it's a pride in me that keeps me from receiving from him. Please help me. So I went in, and I want you to know I saw the power of God fall on that man in his weakness, and it changed my life. And you can line them up, all the great preachers that you know of. You know, it's hard to be a preacher today. Look at the competition, man. 
you got everybody in the world you want to listen to. And there's some good ones out there, and I listen to them occasionally, and, you know, I hate them. I hate them because they're better than me. That's why I hate them. Then I get to repent. But Paul was given this thorn to humble him, to humble him. And so Paul began, rather than seeing the thorn as something to be endured, now it became something to be embraced. Why could he embrace it? Is he a masochist? Is he completely out of his mind? Did the thorn cause him migraine headaches to the point that he can't think straight anymore? No. He uses a very descriptive phrase to talk about how the power of Christ rests upon him. It is tabernacling language. It's used also of the incarnation of Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, the, the glory of God tabernacled among us. What Paul is literally saying is when I am weak, I am strong because the power of Christ rests upon me. That is the Shekinah glory of God that was part of the traveling temple, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, in the Holy of Holies. God's presence dwelt, and no one could enter that Part, compartment of the tabernacle without immediately being killed. Paul is saying, when I am weak, when this thorn is driving me nuts, the power of Christ tabernacles upon me, dwells over me. You think about that. What a remarkable statement. And it's upside down, isn't it? Christ's death and life was reproduced in Paul. God's power through Christ, crucified weakness and death by crucifixion, issues in crucifixion of Paul's inflated pride by means of the thorn. God's power, which causes Christ to be alive in the resurrection and believers with him, issues in the power of Christ experienced in patient endurance of weakness and meekness and gentleness, it transforms us. He said to me, and what he says continues to hold good, his grace is sufficient. It keeps on being enough. His power keeps on becoming a reality in this unremoved weakness versus triumphalism that we hear all the time if you watch TV evangelists. And here's my summation of TV evangelists. They're the professional wrestlers of Christianity. That's what TV evangelists are. And Paul is saying, is saying it's resurrection power. God did not take the weakness away. He said, I have something better for you. That is, my power will tabernacle over you. It will dwell. The Shekinah glory of God will come. Experience of life can render us powerless and vulnerable. And things denied us stops controlling our universe. Intellect, health, beauty, wealth, influence, position, approval are instruments of power, but it is powerless. It calls to the Lord and God gives grace. Paul is not 
finding himself in passive resignation here, but rather in active obedience because God's means of working is for him to live daily under the power of cross and by experiencing that, he becomes stronger than he ever was independent of that. So Christian, Christian Bland, expect it. Expect thorns in your ministry. Uh, I used to say some of the meanest people I've ever met, I met in church. I still meet some mean people, but I've discovered that a lot of that meanness was in me, not in them. And so what happens when the when the thorn in the flesh and everybody, every one of you has at least one, every one of you. This is not an apostolic thing. This is Paul teaching us in 2 Corinthians what it's like to live as part of the new creation. In, the, in part of the already but not yet. He already experiences the foretaste and down payments uh, of what it is to be a Christian, but not yet fully experiencing the reality of it all. But in this tension of the already and the not yet, Paul experiences spiritual power through weakness. You don't want it that way, do you? I'd rather just ascend the ladder, have the reputation, you got the power. But that's not how it works. Not in God's world. Not in his kingdom. Power through weakness. Do you know your inadequacies? Are you vulnerable? His grace, whatever situation you are in, his grace is enough. Some wise wag said this, at least it's not on a bumper sticker, but it's true. You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Paul learned that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy which pursues us every day. We thank you that there are chapters in the Bible like this one that are challenging to understand but exposing of our need for you. So, Father, we pray that you would drive this word home to us. May it not leave us so quickly, but may we think about it meditate on it, go back and ask ourselves hard questions about it, and may you train your truth into our hearts. Now, Father, as we continue to worship you, may we give back to you a portion of that which you've entrusted to us, and may we do so with joy in sort of a hilarious way of participating in sacrificially giving to you. And we pray your blessing upon all that's done here. In Jesus' name, amen.